This is the George Reister Podcast presented by The Unafraid Show. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy. Please make sure that you share the podcast with a friend and leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to contact me with suggestions, ideas, thoughts, or just a yell, gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com. That's gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com. Today on the podcast, we are blessed and fortunate enough to have defensive backs coach for the Miami Dolphins, former Cal defensive backs coach, second round pick of the Detroit Lions from 2007, Gerald Alexander. Not only is he a coach, not only is he a former NFL player, but he also happens to be a friend of mine who threw one of the more epic birthday parties and got me to dress up for a party. And I am not the dress up kind of guy, but I loved it. What, what, what was that? 40s, 50s party? What, what was it? It was some type of uh, like 40s gangster thing that the wife put together, man. Something that I don't I don't do uh, party ideas very well, but uh, she's the big organizer in the family and uh she did a great job with us being able to celebrate uh 30th at the time yeah so yeah it was an epic party and i don't normally dress up like i i don't dress up for halloween i don't dress up for none of that but i but after that i was like okay i might be able to do this that felt that felt real good grown and grown and sexy like in in your 30s yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's one of those things that people really don't do because they may not necessarily have the uh, uh, the motivation to. But but once you participate in something like that and, and you're doing it with people that you that you care about and you have fun with and uh, you start to realize, all right, that was uh, that was actually a pretty good idea. And it's something that I would probably do again. But then you go back to being yourself again. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. So you are a a football coach you left the university of cal being their defensive backs coach and you went to the miami dolphins so you went from a power five job at cal with 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 a new baby (laughs) down to the miami dolphins being their defensive backs coach like that's a heck of a transition for a young coach like tell tell us about like how you got into the coaching game and because a lot of former players and a lot of other people just out in the general public want to get into coaching, like how, what led you to, to that career path? Well, the, the fact that I'm here as the, uh, as a professional coach and really being less than 10 years uh, of coaching is not ideal. You know, there's a lot of guys who don't have the opportunity that I have right now. And I'm very fortunate and humbled for, the opportunity to be the defensive back coach for this organization and just the path that I've been on. But um, really it all started with, you know, um, you know, just uh, thinking that I wanted to get into coaching and, and really getting done playing. And um, as, as all former players go through, man, you got you go through that transitional period where you, you really don't know what you want to do and you don't really know that the, your playing days are over and you're and, it, and it's kind of hit at the same time. And, um, you know, when I volunteered at my high school, you know, kind of in the midst of transitioning, um, thinking that I wanted to still continue to play and I did want to still continue to play. But the lack of opportunity um, basically retired me out, just like it does a lot of players. Um, But I really fell in love with the next phase of my life, which is coaching football. 
you know, coaching high school kids at the time. And I knew that my path had to do with, um, you know, tapping into my network and, and seeing if there was opportunities at the collegiate level to be a grad assistant and uh, got a chance to reach out to some to some coaches that I had uh, genuine relationships with in college who would who would continue to branch off and and spread out within the coaching, uh, the coaching fraternity, you know, being a, being a player at Boise state and, um, getting on to be a grad assistant at, at, at Arkansas state and under Brian Harson and doing it with, uh, doing another year with, uh, as a grad assistant with, with Chris Peterson, who, you know, those, those graduate assistant opportunities really laid the foundation for me, uh, to become the coach that I currently am and, and being around really good coaches and really good teachers and really good motivators, uh, really gave me an opportunity to see what, it really was to be a coach and not just be a uh, a giver of information, but being a being a mentor, being a motivator, being a teacher, um, being a great presenter, um, and doing all the things that that that, that coaching requires um, for you to be able to get the most out of your players and you know getting those opportunities to to take a first job and at an FCS school and not having too much pride to to to, to pick up and move and, and go to a place that I was unfamiliar. Um, coaching at Indiana State University and and, and getting on. Uh, the next season at the university uh, at Montana State University under a guy that I knew, and um, you know, and, and fortunately enough, my network has really carried me a long way with every job opportunity that I had, and uh, including this one. You know, being able to do a do a, 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 min- a minority internship and training camp prior to the 2019 season at, at Cal, which was my last year, and, and getting connected with this staff. Um, you know, learning some things and not really thinking about a job opportunity coming forward um, in the very near future, but just trying to get as much information that I could to, to pour into the players that I was coaching. And and they say, you don't, you don't think about the next job. Uh, just think about the job that you currently have and do everything you can. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're looking back at it. There's, there's really no blueprint. It's about just uh, putting in work and doing a good job with the opportunity that you have, uh, you know, tapping into the network and, and letting people know that you're serious. You know, a lot of former well, players. What does, uh, go ahead. What does tapping into your network mean? Because I, because I know that some people are going to wonder exactly what that what that means. Is that phone calls? Is that emails? Like it did the did the first time that you called somebody, were you able to get the undergrad assistant at Arkansas State, or is this like a persistent process that has like ups and downs in it? It's it's a persistent process. It has its ups and downs. You know, it's uh, you know calling around. You know, luckily I was able to get an opportunity fairly quickly, um, just because the timing was right when I got an opportunity to be a grad assistant at Arkansas State. Um, Brian Harson had just got the job. He was a he was a uh, offensive coordinator at the University of Texas. He just got the job at Arkansas State as the head coach. Um, he was assembling his staff together, and the first call I made was to Chris Peterson. And his suggestion was to make a call to Brian Harson, and I had a uh, a little bit of relationship with him, nothing extensive, because I was a defensive player um, at Boise State. He was an offensive coach, so I didn't have a really direct um, relationship with him. But I, he did know me; we did know each other, um, and it just happened to work itself out. And then over the course of time, you know, when you are a grad assistant, you know, you you're not guaranteed a full time position by no stretch of the imagination after your after your tenure is done, wherever you're at, and so. Through those, through those times, I was reaching out to, to more of my network, the, the players or the, the coaches that I played for in the NFL who happened to be maybe at different teams and just, you know, asking them about maybe, you know, internship opportunities or letting them guys, letting them know that I, hey, I'm, 
hey, I'm coaching now. If there's any anything, if I can just be a fly on the wall and, and, and sit in a meeting and just gather some information, I want I want to let you know that I'm interested in, um, you know, going to the senior bowls and just being seen and just trying to trying to trying to meet and, or, or reintroduce myself outside of playing the game um, as an aspiring coach and going to the senior bowls, going to the combines, uh, going to the AFCA coaches convention and just, again, persistent, trying to tap into the network, even though uh, expand your network, even though that that may not necessarily result into a job immediately. And it's one of those things that um, it does burn a lot of people out because a lot of people do that over and over again. And um, they don't reap the benefits uh, or they don't see the benefits immediately uh, of that persistent, uh, you know, email or text message or just just conversational exchange um, that may not necessarily result into the job opportunity that they want. But um, I've been fortunate enough that I've been able to uh, get opportunities and, and continue to uh, tap into that network that, that really helped me along the way and to be in the position that I'm in right now. You talked about how having an important, how important it is to having a great uh, partner, spouse, all of that. And your wife, Christine, is absolutely amazing. Like, I love her. And she's like, she has the mommy tips and all of this stuff. And But you guys have done, you guys have four kids now. You guys have done n- uh, natural births. But like, tell us, tell us, tell us about, I think it was child number two, because you have an exceptional story where you delivered your own child. Like you, like you just went back to the old school days and just said, you know what, to to caution with the wind, I don't need no damn doctors. I got, I I got these two hands. Well, it wasn't necessarily like that. And that confident (laughs) the way you said it, it was, uh, you know, it was just one of those just, just weird situations, man, where it was just, um, had plans to have a home birth and had a midwife and, um, just so happened, you know, contractions started in, in, the, in the traffic hours of Seattle, Washington. And then the, she was already maybe 30 to 40 minutes away, um, you know, without traffic. And so uh, not knowing that it was going to be a fast labor. Um, so 50, 54 minutes into the first contraction, baby was coming and she was in the tub and I followed directions and there was really no no time to be scared, no time to worry. I mean, at the end of the day, man, you, whoever's a parent, you know, hey, that's, that's your seed and you'll do anything for them. And so there was no time for fear. It was just, boom, catch the baby and, and then follow directions from there. But it was uh, obviously one of those uh, life-changing moments for us that we'll never forget. So, is, so were you confident after that to, to where after the other babies came? Like, nah, nah, we, we don't need a midwife. I can do this myself. No, not at all. Not at all. It, was, it wasn't one of those things. I'm going to leave it to the experts. It was just a, uh, you know, just a coincidence that I just happened to be forced into that position. But by no stretch of the imagination do I feel like I'm an expert. Um, we talk on here about, about faith. And that reminds me of a tweet that you sent ultimately that, uh, with, with your job now with, with the Dolphins, you had tweeted out, I think in November or December tweet, tweeted out how coach flow, how they had finished strong, did, despite everybody thinking that they were going to be, you know, that they had just given up on the season in the beginning and the team looks good and he got to playing hard and everything. And then you ultimately ended up, I mean, and that tweet didn't have anything to do with you interviewing because it was months be- before that. 
So like, how, how did your, your, your faith and all of this stuff, how does that play into your coaching, into your family, anything like that? Well, I think, you know, faith, you know, I, I always talked about, or not necessarily talked about, but I always heard, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. You know, you have to, if you have faith in something, um, and you want to achieve something, and this is uh, coaching at this level is something that I've wanted to do at some point. I didn't know when that opportunity would come. Um, but you know, just, just, just continue again, like I said earlier, just continue to try to be the better version of yourself on a day to day, you know, try to all the things that I'm responsible for, um, you know, outside of obviously family and football, um, just continue to try to do a, a really good job, you know, and, and with the whole, uh, the coincidence of whether it be that tweet, um, I obviously became big fans of how those guys were operating here um, just because I got a chance to see it for a week in training camp. And, you know, I started to, you know, started to root for them because I started, you know, I knew the people, you know, I knew what they were trying to get done. I know how hard it is to be somewhere for the first year and, and, and try to change behavior and change culture. You know, I just did that with Cal, um, you know, and, and, and luckily now I'm, um, you know, they've built a foundation that I'm fortunate enough to be be a part of. And um, again, now it goes back to doing the same thing and, and living and living by faith, you know, and doing the necessary things, um, even though maybe at that specific time, it may not necessarily lead to the results that you want. It's continuing to put your best foot forward and continue to improve. And even with uh, even with the trying times right now, with with everything kind of you know, really the whole world at a level of uncertainty and, and, and stuff like that. Um, everybody has different responsibilities that they have, whether it be professionally um, or family. It's just continuing to try to be the best version of yourself, and that will lead into um, what you hope to strive for later on. Um, who do you, like, whether whether it's your family or your friends, when it comes to decision-making, who do you call, who do you lean on, and how do you reach out for advice? Because I think a lot of times people, some sometimes they either trust themselves to make decisions or they trust other people, the wrong people's advice. Like how do you know who to go to in situations and you know, what advice to take, throw out all of that? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just what, you know, what, what are you pondering over? I mean, a lot of my decisions go through my wife, you know, and that's, that's the one person that I know that has the best interest of me, our family, um, and, and I don't make any real major decisions without her input. And, and so, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough, you know, with being in the coaching profession to have uh, certain people who I trust, who've helped me along the way, um, who've kind of been in, been in the business for a very long time, whether it be at the collegiate level or the, the National Football League level, um, you know, and, and, you know, in general, you know, that I can reach out to and, and just, you know, bouncing my ideas off of and, you know, hey, what about this? Or, hey, I'm, um, this, here's what I'm thinking. Or, or, hey, this, this ended up happening to me or, or anything like that. I mean, it, it's, you know, you know, good, you know, good people that you've run across in your life that you know they have, um, you know, uh, your, your best interests at heart. And I, I've met a ton of people. I've been around a ton of people. I've worked with a ton of people um, who I can call on. And I know that, uh, you know, no matter what, they won't be, they won't be judgmental. Um, they won't uh, they won't steer me wrong or, you know, ultimately, I obviously have to take that information and, and, and make a final decision. Um, but, you know, it, it's a, it's a very small circle. I mean, there's only so many people that you can't trust that have your best interests. And I've been fortunate enough to have 
people in my life, whether they be in the coaching business, not in the coaching business, um, obviously people like yourself included, uh, who who would will shoot me straight and, and help give me the information for me to be able to make an informed decision. And so, like, is, is that the kind of the same process that you use to teach your sons or or the kids that that you when when you were a college coach? Because I think the the more than academics, more than being a good football player, I think that the greatest skill that you can learn that helps you excel in all those areas is quality decision making and and discernment of good information and bad information. Like I, I think that that is probably the most right. critical skill that you can learn in life. Um, no, I think the thing that really helped me out as far as as far as being just being a coach, and this is why uh, I love the position that I'm in. I love the position that I that I've that I've been fortunate enough to be in is, um, you know, in, in life experience. You know, me and you have life experience in regards to playing college football and dealing with all the ups and the downs and the pitfalls that we may have stepped in and whether it be on the field, off the field, um, having an opportunity to play at the highest level, at least for me, you know, uh, I've done what a lot of these guys are, are, are trying to do, you know, especially at the collegiate level or guys that are currently going through, um, you know, some of the things that, you know, whether it be at the professional realm, you know, so I have, uh, I've looked through those lenses, you know, so I, now I can, I can really be able to give, um, quality information based on life experience and and not necessarily just relying on that life experience um through coaching but obviously you know through through uh understanding the game and being able to teach the game but even outside of that you know being able to understand what they're also going through being able to relate to them um being able to understand maybe a a specific mistake that they may have made in front of me you know and, and not necessarily teaching um you know just out of the playbook hey you either did the job or you didn't or hey that's black and white and you're either wrong or you're right. You know, you, now you can kind of um, talk to them in the same wavelength because you have the same, you have the, you have the life experience. Hey, hey, man, that's a tough play right there. Or, hey, man, that's a hell of a play you made. Or, you know, here's how you can do it better. Um, but, hey, man, you got to tip your hat off to him. He made a good throw. He made a good catch. Or he made a good move. And so um, it, it helps me to be able to relate to my players a little bit more. It helps me be able to, to, to teach them and, and maybe get the most out of them. Um, because there's that foundation of a good relationship uh, going forward, you know. Yeah, that make that makes a lot of sense. Um, you are a guy who was part of the reason why I do podcasts now in general. Because you told me years ago, you were like, George, get get into the podcast, get into the podcast, and you were a young guy. I mean, like young people at the time, like it, it wasn't like six hundred thousand podcasts around like there are now. Like they were kind of difficult to fine there weren't as many platforms and all of that like what about podcasts attracted you and what do you listen to on podcasts and in you know where where did that come from because you were ahead of the curve in that one you know i can't remember exactly what it was i i, I take it back a long time ago man and this is before this is before bamani ended up blowing up bamani jones so i used to be heavy into like um, he used to have a radio show he used to do with a guy, uh, from Canada. And I used to always listen to him kind of in the, oh man, I don't know exactly what year it was. It was like the morning Jones. Yep. That's what it was called. And it was, uh, it was, it was, it was like a bunch of different people, um, that would call in and, and it was like a, like a, like a, like a culture in a sense, small, like, you know, culture of people. And it was, uh, I don't know if it was on the podcast yet, but I started listening to, 
to specific podcasts uh, a while ago. And I can't remember how many years ago this was, but it was like I was telling you and I was telling another person like, hey, man, you know, you should you should do a podcast. I mean, I wasn't really I wasn't really trying to do that, um, but I knew the amount of reach that it can get. You know, there's so many people that have got. You know, we know so many guys that are just uh, they're going to be naturally funny or smart or, you know, they got somewhat of a, you know, they have a name. You know, they played they played ball. They played maybe at, at, at Oregon or they played at USC or they played at specific places. And it's like you can you can use your name and you talk football all the time. You could you can utilize that and just, you know, use a little platform and people will listen. You know, you'll have a natural following. And, um you know, it was just, you know, now it's, you know, the podcast I do listen to. Um, and it's, it's obviously it's, it's a, there's a, a wide variety of them now. I mean, I can listen to the, whether it be the Joe Budden podcast or your podcast or, you know, the, all the smoke podcasts with, with, like with Steven Jack and, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, just, I mean, just, just people being able to utilize, I mean, again, it, it all goes down to, um, people love listening to stories and life experiences and, and, and those are the things that are priceless to to guys who are able to excel, especially with sports and sports fans. You know, people love that stuff. You know, people love you know hearing those hearing uh, Stephen Jack and Matt Barnes talk to um, you know whoever you know uh, Vince Carter or whoever, and just have a conversation about, hey man, give me your best you know give me your best Kobe story or give me you know give me, you know with this whole MJ, uh, Michael Jordan documentary. I mean, that people love that stuff. I mean, people love to hear those those stories and there's so many times where you know there might be moments in our careers our playing careers where you may have even forgot about and you get with some of your old teammates and you know you just happen to share some stories hey man remember remember on the plane when such and such did this after the game it was like oh man you know i remember that man that was hilarious or that was that was memorable or i remember this moment in the in the game and you know a lot of the stuff that you know we miss as players is not necessarily the the game itself but sometimes it's just those those moments those camaraderie moments in the locker room on the bus on the plane um you know, those are those are stories that people would I mean, those are priceless stories and information that people would love to have. And, and, and podcasts now are an outlet for for people, especially, you know, professional athletes or just people in general uh, to be able to share information with people who are interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. I am all in on it. Like I listen to them and you listen to some of the ones that I listen to. And it's and it's not always I think it's created a platform for people to be able to share, tell stories and disseminate information without having the because you you used to have to have to have a, you know, a big studio job, be on TV, be on the radio, you know, all of this. And some and some podcasts are bigger and have a bigger reach than anybody on television. Um, But Mm -hmm. I I I think a lot of that goes into uh, I think not to cut you off. I think a lot of that has to do um sometimes you can get, you know, you can get the real story, you know, a lot of unfiltered uh, podcasts, man. And, and guys can go in there and be themselves. And one of the, one of the ones I used to listen to uh, a lot and I still kind of do, but not maybe as much just because of time um, is Nori's drink champs. You know, the whole preference of just, Hey, we all together, we having drinks and we just telling stories, you know, and then it's just unfiltered, uncensored, you know, it's just guys in there being themselves and, and people like that, you know, people will listen to that. It's like, you know, you feel sometimes like you you a part of the room. You're a part of the conversation. You're a part of the crew, or you're a part of the family. And so, uh, you know, it definitely gives you know gives different insights and maybe information, um, whether it's useful information in your life or not, or just purely entertainment. 
that you may not have uh, had access to. Oh, that that's a good that's a good way. Uh, I I want to ask you three 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 last questions. One is about your uh, family. So you grew your kids are growing up in a much different situation than you grew up. What is your greatest mm-hmm. What is your greatest dream for your family for you and your four kids you your wife and your four kids and what is your greatest fear as surrounding that? My uh, repeat that one more time. That what is your greatest uh, fear surrounding you, your family, your four kids right now, and what is your greatest dream for you and your family? I think my greatest dream for me and my family um, is for us, you know, maybe just as simple as just for us to be happy. You know, I know that's kind of a, a bland way, and, and you know, what is what is happiness? But you know, for for my for my kids to be healthy, for them to continue to grow, and um, you know, and, and, and be intelligent, and and be loving, and and be loved, and feel loved. Um, you know, that's that's what I want. My my greatest, I guess, fear. I'm not sure about the fear part. You know, um, I think we all fear. You know, we don't want certain things to happen in life. Um, especially when you think about family and children, um, you know, but I, I, I want my kids, you know, my kids, especially, I think everybody wants this, you know, um, even though, um, uh, situation or life may be different than, than I lived when I was younger. Um, not to say that I had it hard by no stretch of the imagination, but I want, um, I want my kids to understand that whatever you want, it takes hard work and it's not going to be easy, you know, and it's not going to be given to you. And even though, um, you may reap the benefits of being able to go to NFL games for free and all of this other, you know, all this other stuff. And, and that may, you know, that may come with uh, being the son of a coach or the daughter of a coach or something like that. Um, whatever you want to do, you can do. But in order to do it, you got to work hard, extremely hard. And it's going to get hard and there's going to be disappointment and there's going to be pitfalls along the way. There's going to be tears. There's going to be there's going to be blood. You know, there's going to be different things that. Uh, are going to happen to you along the way, but ultimately that's going to make you be the person that you want to be. And, and so um, hopefully I continue to be living proof of that, um, you know, for them to be able to uh, strive and, and be better and do things, um, you know, that whatever interests them, you know, I'm not living through my kids and they don't have to play sports if they don't want to. Um, but I want them to be able to work hard and do whatever they want to do. And, and strive to See, get that done. I, I struggle. I feel like I struggle sometimes as a parent in the fact that our life is so re- revolved around sports, but I've been making an emphasis on the kids, like having interest outside of it. And they found some things recently that they really, really like to do because, you know, I, I was like, we're too wrapped up to in into this. Like we're bigger than this. We're more than an athlete, all of this. And then that got me to thinking. Because I don't I didn't feel like I had a vested interest in wanting them to be a professional athlete or a college athlete or anything, but they really enjoy it. But I was thinking and and Mm -hmm. so I'm going to ask you the question that I asked myself. So would you rather your kid if if, if your kid were going to get a full ride to Stanford? or, Or Harvard or wherever. Full full ride Stanford to a prestigious university and then be a Rhodes Scholar. Or be the number one overall draft pick. 
I would say, um, <clears throat> I mean, and I, for lack of a better way to even think about it, whatever they want to do, you know, I mean, whatever they want to do, I would give them some some perspective. Obviously, hey, there's you can be the number one overall draft pick in really any sport, but you know, there's you know, hey, let's say you play ten years, ten years in that sport. Let's use football for an example. Obviously, ten years. Hey, man, you 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 thirty, thirty one years old. Hey, man, and let's say it's a wrap. You know, what I mean, you got you got some guys that are walking away at twenty nine, thirty. Like, hey, man, I'm done. I made yep. the money. I'm good. Um, now what? You know, what, what, what are you doing? Or what, um, what foundation are you, have you laid for yourself? I used to talk about this in recruiting all the time. Um, you know, the NFL is plan B, and we'll play that out, you know, for as long as we possibly can. And we'll, and we'll pour every single, uh, you know, ounce of sweat into that. You know, but at the end of the day, plan A is the rest of your life. So as you're on this pursuit of plan B, you got to continue to lay those bricks for plan A. Because I can tell you the, 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 the most the scariest moment in my life was when that that plan that 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 plan plan was over and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Now thank God I had a, a great opportunity and found a great passion to do something else within the same game that I grew around. But not everybody has that ability. Not everybody has um you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, I mean I'm pretty sure you know of a lot of guys who still really haven't you know, it could yeah. be years since they've been since they've been done playing and they have not really found the thing that they find passion, the same amount of passion in. And, and you know, they deal with the the that crisis of, you know, hey, there's nothing that I love as much anymore. There's nothing that drives me as much or they have no outlet to pour that passion that they once had into it. And, and sometimes it leads to guys going down a dark road and being in a dark state. So I, I'm, I'm one of the. I'm one of the lucky ones to to have had a very short transitional period and really found something else that I that I love to do. Um, and, and I even love it but more than yep. playing, you know, to be honest with you. I, I love this part of it more than playing because, um, you know, I get more I get more fired up on helping somebody to be able to do something that I don't that that, that maybe I, I made the same play and I don't have the same level of excitement. You know, I, I'm glad that we were able to start from the foundation to build to where we are now and for you to be able to reap the benefit of that hard work that See, we put I, in. I do. That's another gem that you dropped. Sports needs to be plan B. That 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 going first round or whatever, playing in the league, proper, that that needs to be plan B and that your life has to be plan plan A. And, dude, that was ah, – I like that right there. Um, what does – tapping into your network mean because i because i know that some people are going to wonder exactly what that what that means is that phone calls is that emails like it did the did the first time that you called somebody were you able to get the undergrad assistant at arkansas state or is this like a persistent process that has like ups and downs in it It, it's it's a persistent process it has its ups and downs you know it's uh you know, calling around, you know, luckily I was able to get an opportunity fairly quickly um, just because the timing was right when I got an opportunity to be a grad assistant at Arkansas State. Um, Brian Harson had just got the job. He was a, he was a uh, offensive coordinator at the University of Texas. He just got the job at Arkansas State as the head coach. Um, he was assembling his staff together, and the first call I made was to Chris Peterson, and his suggestion was to make a call to Brian Harson, And I had a uh, a little bit of relationship with him, nothing extensive because I was a defensive player um, at Boise State. He was an offensive coach, so I didn't have a really direct um, relationship with him, but I, he did know me. We did know each other, um, and it just happened to work itself out. And then over the course of time, 
you know, when you are a grad assistant, you know, you, you're not guaranteed a full-time position by no stretch of the imagination after your, after your tenure is done, wherever you're at. And so through those, through those times, I was reaching out to, to more of my network, the, the player or the, the coaches that I played for in the NFL who happened to be maybe at different teams and just, you know, asking them about maybe, you know, internship opportunities or letting them guys, letting them know that I, Hey, I'm, Hey, I'm coaching now. If there's any, anything, if I can just be a fly on the wall and, and, and sit in a meeting and just gather some information, I want, I want to let you know that I'm interested in, um, you know, going to the senior bowls and just being seen and just trying to, trying to, trying to meet and, or, or reintroduce myself outside of playing the game, um, as an aspiring coach and going to the senior bowls, going to the combines, uh, going to the AFCA coaches convention and just, again, persistent trying to tap into the network even though uh, expand your network even though that that may not necessarily result into a job immediately and it's one of those things that um, it does burn a lot of people out because a lot of people do that over and over again and um, they don't reap the benefits uh, or they don't see the benefits immediately uh, of that persistent uh, you know email or text message or just just conversational exchange um, that may not necessarily result into the job opportunity that they want, but um, I've been fortunate enough that I've been able to uh, get opportunities and and continue to uh, tap into that network that that really helped me along the way and to be in the position that I'm in right now. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times guys, when they come for, former players, whether they're high school, college, professional players, that a lot of times that they want to coach and they may have that knowledge, but the persistence. And this willingness to stand on a pile of no's for one yes, like you said, I think that burns a lot of people out. But you were able to get the Arkansas State undergrad assistant, then the Washington grad assistant, and then you've interned with Titans, the Buccaneers, like you said, and then were the defensive back coach at Indiana State, then went to Montana State, to Cal, and now with the Dolphins in 10 years. Well, in less than 10 years. Mm-hmm. So. Like that's a lot of moving around and you have Mm -hmm. a family, a growing family, kids. Like how has that impacted your, your family? And I know for, for me, I could never get into coaching because I can't, I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. So what, Mm -hmm. what does it take to make that sacrifice and how has it been for you? I think it takes a, a, a great and understanding wife, you know, for, um, all the things and the challenges, because, you know, fortunately, I've been on kind of the, the, the better end of the moving and the picking up and, and, and being in a different area. I mean, I have, uh, you know, there's there's two kind of coaches. There's the ones that are hired and the ones that are fired, you know, and I haven't I haven't gotten to a situation where that was the case yet. But um, I think with an understanding wife and, and the, the, the amount of time that we're away as football coaches, um, especially as college football coaches, just being on the road and recruiting and um, doing all those things and 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 making sure that home is home is still is, is still being held down, you know, especially with with us um, and our family and, and and the amount of kids we have and, and what what my wife does with the kids and um, you know and then one day saying hey this phone call just changed our life and we're picking up and moving you know and 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 be good with that you know and just have an understanding of what's what's uh, what's to come and 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 all of that and so it's a uh, you know, it, it's our life. You know, it's our life that that, that we've accepted. We 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 know what it is, and um, we understand. And, and she understands the role that she plays. And you know, I just try to do the best that I can to support her. And obviously, she does the same. 
How much, uh, I guess, a, as a man, as the wage earner, as the like, you have a high responsibility to make sure that you're not slacking off at work, that you're putting the best, like not only trying to win, but you got to try to win for your family, too. So what is your ultimate motivators like because i know that there's more than one for you being great at 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 your job is it your family is it winning like how do those things balance into each other well i think for me man it's it's really it's it's the process you know i want to be the best teacher that i can be i want to be able to give the information um to the players that's going to help them do the things that they are capable of doing and some. And ultimately that results in winning. You know, I don't necessarily think about winning as a result because winning is a process. You know, the, before the scores are even lit up on the board, um, there's so many things that go into the preparation that, that leads to winning, you know. And, and so that's really my motivation. I think that's uh, I think that's every coach's motivation. I can't speak for everybody, but uh, I think that's my motivation, you know, and, and not necessarily, you know, of course I'm motivated by my family and, um, I want to do good by them and I want to do good by uh, the people who are putting me in, in the responsibility to be able to develop a unit. Um, but for me, every day, it comes down to being uh, a great teacher, um, uh, a great motivator and doing what I need to do to get the information to the guys so they can um, so they can succeed on the field. And ultimately, that would result into uh, into wins. And even if, you know, even if unfortunately we do uh, maybe everything right and, and, and it's from a prep, preparation standpoint and, you know, hey, we go out through competition and we don't win that game. Um, being able to take that information that we got, whether it be from a win, win or a loss, and then just try to improve on that. And just, just trying to improve every single day and that takes care of itself in regards to everything else big picture-wise, whether it be the motivation of family, winning, um, and all the things that come into this business. Well, you talked about the preparation, doing all doing all the things the right way doesn't necessarily yield necessarily the results that you always want, but it's about the process. And I I saw that a lot at Cal when you were the defensive back coach at Cal and also under Justin Wilcox, who I played with at the University of Oregon. And I love the way that you guys played. You guys played hard, no matter the adversity. And last year, you guys we're on a roll. What, what, what were you guys? Four, five, five and oh. Then Chase Garbers, your quarterback, he goes down. And and I thought you guys were going to lose every game after that. But the team just kept fighting and fighting and staying in games. And and then you had – then Garbers was able to come back. You win some, get to a bowl game. I, t- t- tell me about and tell the people about what it was like building Cal from what what you guys picked it up from, which was one of the worst defenses in the whole country or the worst defense in the whole country to building it up to where you left it. I think it all started with the, uh, the leadership, you know, and what, what Justin wanted um, in regards to just everything that we talked about from the very beginning, how he wanted the guys to play, um, how he wanted them to work, the behaviors that he wanted to set within the culture. Um, and ultimately, again, that process was going to lead to uh, the victories on the field, you know, and the belief, you know, depending on uh, n- no matter the circumstances, uh, being able to battle through adversity, uh, no matter what, and and get the results that, that we strive for and we work for. And, and again, they may not always necessarily be ideal situations that we're dealing with, obviously losing a starting quarterback, um, you know, as you're going through, you know, at the time an undefeated season. Um, right before conference play, really the thick of conference play, uh, it, you know, it's not ideal, but it's not. It's also not an excuse, 
you know, and we know that, you know, the next, the next man has to, has to step up and, and we got to pick up the slack and, and, and just, you know, seeing how those guys played, whether it be that year or the year prior, or even the very first year, you know, it was just uh, building blocks on top of a, of a long process when you're just trying to build a program, um, kind of win with the guys that you basically accumulated through the first year and um, starting to set the trend and starting to set the culture for the guys that are going to be returning over the course of time, as well as adding additional talent and really trying to to get the thing rolling um, in the direction that you want to. And I, and I look forward to seeing how those guys are able to do, um, obviously, post my departure, because I know how the thing was built. Well, you you have a lot of sayings that uh, that uh, you talk about, but I want to talk about where you said the that that you went with your guys and all this stuff. So there are some coaches who believe that they recruit uh, um, our our kind of guys, and some guys that they they recruit you no matter red flags, anything, history, because these are high school students, and, and all they want is talent. Like when you are a coach, how much do you think that that like that our kind of guy that a certain type of kid who's good in school or 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 perfect character or this or that where do you, where do you draw the balance in a kid that you ideally would would recruit with no like school limitations like it's different a kid you can recruit at Arkansas State then you can recruit at Cal then you can recruit it at Alabama so if you were at the highest level of school what kind of kid would you recruit like who's a perfect kid I think you got to recruit, obviously, a talented guy, you know, a talented guy that's really uh, that's motivated. I think the number one thing, especially when you start talking about college athletics and, and obviously the attention that goes into recruiting, you got to really be able to find a kid that loves football. You know, a, a lot of guys fall in love with the recruiting process and the attention that it gives them and the pop- popularity that it gives them. Um, and, and we all know, and, and you being a former player as well. That, you know, once that's over, that's over. And, and, and it's hard. You know, it's hard to be a, a successful college football player. Um, there's a lot of sacrifices that you have to make. Um, it's very hard work. And, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of time, you know, and I, I used to tell guys when I was recruiting them all the time, you know, hey, you have, you know, 12, 12 games a year, uh, four years. Man, you got 48 guaranteed opportunities. Um, outside of any conference championships or bowl game, but 48 guaranteed Saturdays or, or game day competitions that you're going to play. And there's a lot of time between those 48 opportunities that you're going to play um, in order to be able to uh, perform. You know, there's a lot of practice time. There's a lot of uh, time outside of the building, time outside of our meeting, time outside of the required work for you to be able to go out here and be as successful as you want to be on the football field. And that takes a lot of time and it's going to be hard. You're not going to come in right away and be exactly who you were when you just left high school. And so a lot of guys, that's hard. You know, even the, even the most talented individuals in the country, that's a hard pill to swallow. And a lot of those guys, they don't necessarily uh, flourish in those kind of competitive environments because we're trying to get a, a lot of different talented guys. So I think for the simplest way I can put it, man, you got to find guys who love ball. You got to find guys who love football. Um, you got you to find guys who, who, who love uh, the competition of it um, and, and everything about it. And, at that point, you know you got a guy that you can develop and build around um, who's coachable, who listen. Um, as long as you give them the right relevant information, they'll try to continue to improve. And, you know, I think that's your plus one. When you're looking at a, a, at a prospect um, in high school or really obviously, you know, where, where I am today, you got to find guys who love the game. Yeah. Well, you, you have some famous quotes. <laughs> and I love one of the best ones I love is that, 
that you say to kids uh, and you put it out on Twitter, not, not just to your own kids, you say stars can't save you. Right. I, can, can, can you explain that concept? Well, I think, you know, everybody has, uh, you know, a status, you know, going in, you know, the, whether you're the five star kid or the or the walk on kid um, or the first round draft pick or the undrafted free agent. You know, everybody comes into maybe their their level uh, or even the even the Pop Warner all star, you know, and, and, the, and the kid that, you know, barely even played because he just was too small or too slow or too big and. And Pop Warner, and now they enter high school. You know, on the field at that point, there's nothing. Your status can't save you. You know, as football is the is the ultimate ultimate team sport where nothing can save you outside of your one on one matchup. You know, one of the things that I always think about is, um, you know, there's no I in team, but there's I in wins. You know, and that that win has to do with individual performances. It's being able to win win your matchup, win with effort. And win with technique Ooh. at that point, and so Ooh, you know there's there's that. nothing that can there's nothing that can tell there's nothing that can save you in that regard as far as your status coming in. You know, you win with your individual performance, and those stars can't save you. I love that, dude. There's no I in team, but there's an I in win. I love that. Um, and and another and another one. I forgot what the exact quote is, but it's the one where you say that rent is due. What mm-hmm. what what's what's that one? Well, that was the uh, the one that came out. I mean, I think JJ Watt or somebody said it. You know, it's like uh, you know everybody you know everybody pays rent, you know, or, or mortgage or something like that. And and at the end of the day, success um, success is a, is not owned. You know, you gotta you you lease success. You know, and, and rent is due every single day. So if you're not putting in the work, if you're not doing what you need to do to be successful then you might not necessarily make rent that day. And that means that somebody might have moved into your spot, you know? And so that's, that's kind of where that came from. And again, just, you know, given, you know, that's the responsibility of the coach, man. And sometimes you gotta, sometimes it goes beyond the information of the playbook and, and, and just putting maybe some, some things into perspective. Maybe it's just for, for that three hours of practice that, you know, you need the guys to push through, you know, and maybe the middle of camp or it might be a, you know, it might be right before a game to give them, you know, to give them something else, you know, just to give them a little, a little bit of, a little bit of a nugget where, you know, hey, you know, this, this, this makes sense. It's just a different analogy to say the same thing, man. Hey, we got to go out here and put in the work in order to get what we want. I, I always believe that, co- that teams kind of take their, take on a little bit of the personality and position groups of the people who coach them. And, mm-hmm. and that, when you see a team that's undisciplined, I believe that that's a coaching issue that mm-hmm. that that you that you can have kids who don't necessarily or players in general who don't necessarily have the physical capabilities to do what other guys can. But they can be on time. They can they can not jump off sides. They cannot commit stupid penalties. All that. I always think that that's a coaching issue. Where do you stand on that? Um, I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, there's there's very. Very few times where you have players who uh, will just go rogue and do things outside of the framework of what they're being taught. Um, but I think that you can tell a lot about a team um, and how they play, how, how individuals, not necessarily individuals, but, but collectively, how guys perform. Um, and it may not necessarily be um, things that result into points. You know, it might be just how hard guys play, um, how hard guys run down on kickoff. You know, one of the things that you, know, you can always tell about a team um, how hard the guys run down on kickoff, 
how hard they come and try to block an extra point after giving up a touchdown, um, how hard their receivers block on the perimeter, you know, just different things. And that may not necessarily um, be glorifying to the individuals that are actually putting in that work, but you can see a, a lot about a team and, and sometimes those things. And that's one of the things that I always wanted to do with, with my guys, um, the guys that I coach at the collegiate level. And I don't think that's going to change um, here where I'm at currently, but um you know, one of the things that I wanted to do at Cal was, was set a culture, you know, set a standard um, and, and make that be the lead standard that the rest of the team would follow, uh, whether it be how we practice, how we prepared, how we competed, um, you know, how obviously we played out on the field, uh, how we communicated, how we how we did things off the field, the chemistry that we had, um, the standard that we held ourselves to. Um, and ultimately, that would lead into having some success on the field and then hopefully um that that success would spread like wildfire to the rest of the team um, through all the things that we did um, really prior to the performance that people saw on Saturday, you know, and, and that was one of the things that, you know, those guys, um, those guys laid a great foundation, the guys that I was able to coach. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, to, you know, to earn their trust, you know, at the end of the day, just because I'm their coach doesn't mean that I don't have to earn their trust um, into what I'm asking these guys to do, because what, what we're asking them to do as coaches, um, it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to practice hard every single day. It's hard to push through on individuals and run through the football and, um, and, and try to strip the ball and finish, finish the way we want the guys to finish and create those habits in order to, to, to perform greatness on Saturdays or Sundays or whenever you're asking guys to play. Um, it takes a lot of sacrifice and, and a lot of belief to do that. And then when you have your players believing in it and then now they start to hold each other accountable to the same standard where now you as a coach, you, you know that the foundation is laid where now your older guys are telling the younger guys, this is how we do things here. This is not how we do it. And, and now they're starting to believe it so much that they're starting to, they're starting to teach it. And so now, um, now, you know, you've laid a great foundation and now um, you can build on that as you continue to build your, your unit or your program. Uh, now I want to move on to the recruiting aspect of things. Vic, because it it seems like like coaches in college football have to trend younger now because the recruiting has changed. Like it's not just coach showing up at your high school, flashing his flashing his card, flashing his, the the logo on his chest. Now you got to be in the in the DMs. You got to be sending out sub tweets. You got to be doing. I mean, on these phones. Like, what is it like recruiting kids? What you you know when you were at Arkansas State, you saw it in 2013 till your last season at Cal. What what how has the recruiting process changed, and what is it like from start to finish when you recruit a kid? Uh, from just from the overall landscape, you know, you really have to tap into the way that these kids communicate now, and that's through um, you know through social media, whether it be Instagram or uh, TikTok or. Twitter or whatever, you know, I mean, you have to, you have to reinvent yourself. A lot of guys who have been in this, this coaching game have kind of seen this thing evolve over the last, let's say 20 years. You know, if you, if you, if you put in that time, um, you see how the, the, the house phone is no longer, you're not calling the house phone no more. I mean, you're getting these kids right on their cell. Um, you know, they got it with them, you know, and, and you know that they check, check it all the time. And so you got to continue to be active and it's, you know, recruiting is very competitive. Um, you know, from the overall start to start to finish of things, um, you know, obviously you find a kid who who you feel like has the tools for you to be able to develop. And, and sometimes, you know, they they are not a finished product by no stretch of the imagination. 
Um, I personally used to look for specific traits because from where I was, um, I wasn't going to get the, the, the top rated recruit at, at Cal. Um, it just wasn't going to happen, you know, not, not due to a lack of effort. Um, sometimes they weren't attracted to what we can offer them, you know, at Cal, whether it be the location or the academics or, or in some, in some respects, even playing on the West coast and playing in the PAC 12. A lot of kids want to maybe go to other places, maybe go down into the South and, 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 you know, some of the quote unquote bigger schools, um, you know, but just starting to build a relationship with them. And usually I, I, I try to be as very, very transparent as I could um, and just let the guys know, you know, hey, this is going to be a hard process. You know, my biggest thing, my selling point uh, for me personally is about the development, you know, about the development of you as a player. Um, you know, what you are right now is a, is a good tool. Here's how I see where you can improve. Here's how we're going to use you. Here's my vision for you. Um, but best believe you're not going to be promised anything. You know, you're going to be a guy that's going to come in and compete and you know, that's what we want. This is why we, we're recruiting you. You have to love the competition part of it because that's exactly what you're going to do. You're not going to be handed anything other than an opportunity to go and compete, um, you know, and just try to teach them the game along the process where that was my biggest thing as far as separating myself is teaching, teaching well, guys the game of football. Oh, okay, how, how many phone calls? From beginning to like, like, so like, uh, let's say that you have a kid, you can start calling them when, when, when they're after their sophomore year is over, right? Something like that. Yeah. But, or you can start but, having but, the conversations but, with them. Yeah. But like, you can see them before that at school and stuff like that. If you, if you have another kid there, but like, how many phone calls is this? Like, what time of day is this? Uh, uh, like, I don't think a lot of people understand how much work goes into you were known as an elite recruiter. Like there are pe people who recruit kids. Yeah. It's, it's easier to recruit if you have, you know, Alabama USC on your jersey, on your shirt or whatever. But, but even then, like, it's still a dog fight for kids, but like how many phone calls is this? Uh, like, what is it like talking to these parents, you, you, you know, college, their high school coach, like what goes into that? There's plenty of man hours. Plenty of man hours as far as talking to the kid, um, continuing to keep a relationship um, with them, talk to them about whatever whatever's going on, their game that previous week. Um, just 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 staying just staying active in the kid's life, you know, and uh, talking to parents, talking to the significant uh, people in their lives that's going to obviously be able to help them throughout this process and and help them with their decision. Um, at the end of the day, high school coaches. Uh, seven on seven coaches. Um, there, there's a lot of, I mean, I can, I couldn't put a number on the amount of phone calls it takes. And, and usually that thing just starts to ramp up closer and closer. You get to the, the final decision, which is, you know, signing day. Uh, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of man hours uh, with each individual person, you know? So um, it's a lot of work, you know, obviously uh, it's the lifeblood of the program. It's the lifeblood of college football. Um, I'm only as good of a coach as the players that I'm able to have. Um, if they're not physically able to do the things that we require them to do, there's nothing that me as a coach I can do, you know, other than get uh, get you know better talented guys to be able to develop. But uh, there's a lot there's a lot that goes into it, and uh, it's it's the recruiting process for for really everybody, and uh, it, it's never end. So even when you have an, uh, the signing day and you're celebrating, uh, you know, accumulating the classes you just got. You're already looking at the next one and the, and the one after that and the one after that. So it's a never ending cycle. 
How is it? So and the, the element has changed in terms of you actually have to recruit your own kids now, too, because they'll they'll leave in the transfer portal if things aren't going their way or whatever. So it it has that changed in terms of recruiting your own players. And did you do that or did you just say, look, here here's how we do things. Here's how I treat you. I'm not treating you better because you're mad or or worse because you're mad. How did you handle that? Well, the playing time, I always told the guys, that's not up to me. That's up to you. You know, I don't, I don't really, I don't set the, the, the depth chart. Everybody in this room does based on their performance. And, yeah, but it's politics, know, every, coach. It's politics, right? No. There's, I mean, at least for me, there was no politics. Listen, man, the, the, the film will never lie, period. The film will never lie. You know, I don't, I don't, again, I don't care about the stars. I don't care if you're on scholarship. Hell, I had a guy who, Who's, who, who was a walk-on who's about to be drafted, you know, and so it doesn't really necessarily matter as far as um, all that's concerned. It's about when you get in here, um, who can who can do the things right, who can do the things, cons- no, I would say more so who can do the things that we need to get done consistently because there's always going to be, a you know, one of those talented guys and, and or even not so talented. They'll have a – they have a you know a splash play here or there, but you know on, on top of that splash play, they'll mess up three or four times. It's like, well, I can't even trust to put you in the game because of yeah, you're talented, but you don't do the things consistent consistently well. I think that's what everybody needs and everybody wants is is somebody who's going to be consistently out there. That's how sometimes some of the more uh, talented guys on the roster may not necessarily be playing uh, above maybe one of the more let's say heralded recruits that are that that maybe just got to the program um you know it's because that hey this guy does things consistently well or consistently better um yeah you have you know and, and that's that's the work that guys have to have um in order to 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 be successful like i said earlier you know it's it's hard you know there's a you know you're learning a different playbook you're learning different terminology you're learning different techniques um you're learning different things yeah you may be physically talented and that probably has never changed but ultimately you have to be able to adapt and get your game equivalent to what we needed to be at this particular level on a consistent basis. And so there's no politics in this game. There really isn't. As much as people want to use that as a crutch um, and an excuse for the most part, um, at the end of the day, man, the player, we, we, pl- coaches don't get paid to not play good players. That makes sense. I, and, and that granted, like sometimes there's a relationship where they may not like each other for whatever reason. But at the end of the day, pretty much all coaches, they don't want to get fired. They want to win games. So they're they're going to try to play the best and most consistent players possible. Um, there is a new uh, thing that just came out because of COVID, uh, because of the coronavirus that's affecting recruiting. And I think it's going to have a positive impact on Cal – and UCLA in particular. So the article just came out that said that the uh, the UC system is going to ease admission requirements. So no SAT, no minimum grades due to coronavirus. And can you tell us, like, because I don't think that everybody fully understands that getting into, that going to UCLA or going to Cal, getting into those schools, is it's it's different than going to Arizona. It's different than going to Arizona State, Utah, Oregon, Oregon State. Like it's it's just different, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's 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 totally different. You know, as far as the academic requirements that um 
that you need in order to even to even pursue a recruit, let alone get them in the school and all of that stuff. There's just so many kids that um, we would not have had the opportunity to recruit even if we wanted to. Um, and just because of academic performance. And, and sometimes it works itself out because, you know, they would not have fit into the culture of Berkeley anyway, you know, and, and that may um, that may have already just kind of ran its course. And so just with this whole thing that you're just telling me about, I think that um, it, 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 you can think about it in two ways. Uh, and I'm just speaking for Cal because I've been there and I'm not sure how they're operating, um, but just specifically thinking about this news in regards to if I just heard it and I was in that seat. Um, this is our green light to recruit whoever we want. You know, as far as um, not worrying about the admissions part and getting the, you know, getting a certain kid in with a certain GPA, certain test score. All right, hey, it's it's wide open. We can cast a bigger net. But I think you also got to be careful with maybe getting the quote unquote wrong kid. And what I mean by that is, again, everything is about fit. You know, Berkeley is a good fit for certain people. Um, Eugene is a good fit for certain people, you know, uh, Tempe, you know, all these places are special places in their own right. But again, it's all about fit. And so even though you might be able to cast a bigger net and maybe get the get the guy who's got the lower GPA than that you couldn't get in a certain certain year prior, you know, be prior to this uh, COVID thing. Um, who's to say that that kid, just because he can get in the school now because the floodgates are open, is going to be successful in Berkeley academically. And so you still got to, you know, you, you got to weigh that into consideration, even though, hey, you know, we could probably hit this window that we may not necessarily be able to hit. You still got to find the right guy. You still got to find the right kid. What are some of the metrics that go into the academic standard? Because people just think that college is just, oh, yeah, this kid is great. Let's let's get him in. It doesn't matter what his grades are, what school looks like. Yeah, we can just get him in. It doesn't matter. Um, I, I can't speak for, again, I can speak for everybody else. I know Cal, we had a, you know, guys had to be hovering around the 3.0 and, and, and maybe four digits on the, on the, uh, on the SAT score. And so you had to be, uh, a pretty well-rounded academic, uh, performer in order to be justified and being able to recruit you and get you in the school and know that you can handle the, 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 the academic challenges that is going to UC Berkeley. And so, um, but I think that, yeah, you, I mean, at the end of the day, at this point, this is, this is a window of opportunity for us to be able to maybe recruit some of the talented individuals that we may not have the opportunity to recruit um, due to these circumstances that we deal with on a day to day. And so 100%, I think at the end of the day, you got to look at it twofold. You got to look at, okay, here's, here's an opportunity for us to maybe, to maybe recruit a talented kid uh, that we may not have the opportunity to recruit outside of this, but Again, you have to make sure that it's the right fit. And, I, and knowing, um, knowing the leadership there, knowing, knowing how coach operates um, and what he wants in his program, I wouldn't see him thinking about it any less. Yeah, um, I want to talk specifically about the Pac-12 because I am a Pac-12 guy, but I am nervous about the future of the conference as it relates to financials because the, the uh, writing is on the wall to me. They, we uh, we are last in terms of revenue generation. Uh, so that means that coaches can get paid less. That means that coaches can get poached easier. We just saw two Pac-12 coaches. Uh, we just saw uh, Mel Tucker leave uh, Colorado for a big bag of money at Michigan State. And well, not not just a big bag of money, but more resources, all of that. Same thing with Mike Leach at Washington State going down to 
a, a what what is truly a bottom tier team in the in the SEC, like one one of the lower in terms of prestige in football, like leave to go there because of money and resources. So it's like I'm nervous about the future. What do you what's your take on that on the status of the Pac-12? I mean, there's a there's a lot to that. I'm not real familiar just with I mean, I know that certain places have there's haves and have nots. I mean, that's that's life, you know, and that's kind of life in college football right now. And, um, you know, you would hope that there's certain things that they have planned in order to be able to level the playing field. But, you know, that's a that's a little too deep for the things that I paid attention to when I was in the Pac-12. Well, well, on the on the recruiting as aspect of it, have you noticed that kids are more willing to leave the, the California footprint and say, nah, 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 they the, um, the the media or whoever tells me that the that is better ball being being played east of the Mississippi? I think that's all due to perception. I don't think that, that has to do with the uh, the resources as far as that that's concerned. The kids aren't reaping the benefit of, of that. You know, it's not like. You know they're doing. They're motivated by the quote unquote money because they're they're they not they're not or they say shouldn't uh, be getting any any of that. And so a lot of it has to do with just their generational view of what the what 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 is quote unquote big time. You know the SEC obviously using that as an example. Um, very well respected football conference, especially with the you know with some of the successes they've had in the in the national championship field. Um, you know, and, and just the perception of maybe some other schools as far as, you know, the Ohio States and the Michigans and, and some of the kids specifically on the West Coast, you know, they look at that as, uh, hey, that's a bigger opportunity. That's a bigger deal. That's a bigger stage. Um, what I used to always say, hey, man, they, they play on the same 100-yard field, same dimension, same number, same same everything, you know, and, and it's not like um, those specific places are going to get you closer to being able to play on Sunday. I mean, there's there's guys that, you know, I mean, you can be a Tijuana Tech and we're going to find you, you know, as long yep. as you can play. And so it doesn't that doesn't necessarily matter. But I think the the generational perception is, OK, I got to go. I want to go beyond the West Coast because that's a bigger deal, um, you know. But, you know, some guys want to stay home. Some guys want to stay on the West Coast. Some guys want to um, go to other places. You know, and at the end of the day, it's all about fit. And sometimes through through the transfer portal or the love and recruiting and what they feel like was a big deal. Um, they get there and they're like, man, this isn't what I thought it was. Like, well, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's still the cold. It still gets cold in some of those places. Um, it's still, you know, it, it's still far away from home. You know, it's not, it's not your West coast uh, blueprint. You know, it's not what you're used to. Um, you're going to go in there and just, and sometimes, Hey, that might, that might be the best thing for some kids and, and to get out to a different environment um, to be able to grow and, 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 um, grow within themselves and, and or, or some it's like, okay, you know what? This is way too different from my liking. And I need to reassess my situation while I still got time and maybe get back to familiar setting. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, and, and hopefully, uh, you, you know, for, for the sake of Pac-12 football, we can, uh, you know, guys can, can, can see staying at home and playing on the West coast as a big deal. Um, as it was basically when 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 you and I were growing up. Yeah, yeah, heck, heck yeah. So I got I got a I got a tough question for you, Gerald. What? So you you are a coach. I'm a big believer that kids should be able to transfer once with an with an opportunity because coaches are able to to move. 
you have been having success at Cal. You just recruited and signed a class, and now you left to go to the Dolphins. How how does that conversation happen with your players, and how do you feel about that as a coach having to leave kids that you just either you know got to go to the school or already have a relationship with at Cal? Well, I never promised kids that I was going to be there. You know, I, I they asked, um, and they understand the landscape of what this is. This is this is a business. You know, just as 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 much as an opportunity can present itself that I can't refuse, and I ended up going to take a job, um, they can decide to get rid of me the next day. And so, um, yeah, it's hard to go through the recruiting process. And I used to tell kids this. Um, because I'm the one in your home. I'm the one having these conversations with you. I'm the one having the conversation with your parents, um, as well as the, the people that are in our building. And, and we know that people make the place. And sometimes that's the main attraction for some kid to make a decision and say, hey, you know what? I want to go there uh, to that university, um, not just because I want to go to that university, but I want to play for him or I want to play for them or I want to play for these people or I want to be with these people. And then, you know, for for that to be kind of, you know, swept underneath them, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And, and so that's the nature of what this game is, um, what, what this what this college football game is, because there's there's plenty of times where there's coaches that have great relationships with the kids and, they're, and you know, the kids are, are maybe necessarily not having the football results that they want. Um, but, you know, the, hey, they're, they're, they're getting guys graduated and they're having – great college experience outside of maybe the results on the football field and the administration feel like they need to make a different, uh, go in a different direction. And those people are now, uh, you know, thrown out of the building with new people that are in place. So, um, you know, as far as a kid, you know, it, it's, it's as far as him making a decision and, you know, they've kind of lean, leniently got on the rules as far as uh, what these guys are able to do in regards to their playing careers. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it, it's an ongoing debate, man, in, in regards to coaches professionally moving and, and being able to make that decision for uh, their families. But again, that's that's a business. You know, that's that's the business. And I know that they're inserted into a business as a player in, in college football. Um, but that's something that you can you can talk over and over about about who's able to have what kind of freedom to do what. As a kid from L.A., I know that we talked on this day, but talk to me about because because this is just something that I know was just all on my heart and is still just with me to this day. January 26, 2020. Where were you when you heard the news and what kind of effect did that have on you or having on you today? You know what? I was at home. I was at home and um, I want to say I, LeBron had just passed Kobe the previous mm -hmm. night. And, and I remember going to sleep late and I remember, you know, Sports Center loops over and over again late at night. And I remember just hearing this interview talk about, you know, what that meant to him. Um, and it was like hours later, you heard the news and it was, you know, I never I never even thought that that would have the effect on me that it had. And it was like. You know, I couldn't believe it, you know, and even even as as you were going through the emotions of it, like, I, you know, I, I, I kept telling myself, like, I cannot believe that this is affecting me the way that it that it is. You know, I mean, I didn't 
I didn't know the guy. I never met the guy. I never been around him. I mean, I didn't have a relationship with him, but it was like he was a part of me, man. He was a part of he was a part of the childhood. You know, I remember so many, so many memories in life that was wrapped up into Laker games or championship parades or just just, you know, and not even if you were just a fan of the Lakers and growing up in Southern California. I think that people were affected by the death of Kobe just because you saw somebody that was so dedicated to his craft and he ended up being exactly what he wanted to be. He wanted to be known as one of the greatest and and just, you know, and not even have had the opportunity to see physically all the work that he put in, all the sacrifices that he made um, and closely being able to see it every day in practice. I mean, you saw it in his every game performance. And you saw it in different moments and you saw it in spurts and you saw it. I mean, you just saw it, you know, and, and you know, just just seeing that. And, um, you know, and especially as a parent, you know, and and, and just understanding the, the relationship that he had with his kids. And it seemed like, you know, Kobe, we grew yep. up with Kobe, you know, we, we grew up with him when he was a 17 year old Laker. And now seeing him be uh you know, a, a father with, 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 with a great family. And now he's, he's found, you know, he's found his new passion in teaching the game and really dedicating it to, to, to his girl, to his girls and, and women in general, you know, he was a big advocate for uh, women's basketball and, and, you know, the things that he did with, with his daughter who was obviously into basketball and um, taking her to games and, and giving her those experiences that, you know, that, that he was given maybe when he was younger with his dad. And then just to, you know, you, you saw a person that even though at his, at his prime moments in his career, uh, reaching the pinnacle, um, and how glorious that is, you saw a happier person post basketball. You saw a guy who dedicated a lot of his, uh, a lot of that time that he did on the basketball court and he poured it into his family because he sacrificed so much of that time to be what he wanted to be and to, to, for it to abruptly end like that, you know, um, and, and not even like that, but just, just period, you know, just see a guy just that may have, uh, indirectly impacted so many people. Um, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking, man. It was heartbreaking. And, and you saw the, the rest of the families, not, you know, and just, just the whole thing, you know, the, the whole mm-hmm. thing, um, obviously, you know, Kobe being a pivotal piece, but then you think about all yes. the people that were affected and, and how people's, people's lives had changed in an instant on doing something that was probably yep. very routine. Hey, we're going to go to practice. We're going to fly down here. This is something that we do all the time. Um, you know, we're going to go to practice. And then you started to think about, man, you know, this, you know, you, you think about your family, you think about your kids, like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't ever want. Uh, I don't ever want my wife to be away from me. You know, I don't ever want my, my kids to not have me. And, and let me, you know, uh, you know, everyday life, you're on the go when you're thinking about, all right, you know, let me make sure that this is taken care of now. Uh, let me make sure that this is done for tomorrow. And let me make sure some, you know, and, and sometimes and really, you know, kind of bringing things back full circle with this whole thing that's going on with this, uh, with the virus and everybody having to stay at home. It's like, you know, everybody's wanting to know, okay, when's things going to go back to normal? But, you know, you look back and you think about kind of how you felt when, when you heard the news of, of Kobe. It's like, well, man, let me just let me just enjoy this moment right here with, with yep. these people because you don't know when things are going to change. You don't know when lives are going to change. And so many lives are being affected right now with all this stuff. It's like, okay, you know what, let me just 
let me just press pause and let me just take this opportunity where I'm not on the go and I'm not, you know, I'm not in the office. I'm not doing all this stuff. And let me just let me just enjoy family. Let me just enjoy it. And don't get me wrong. man. There's going to be times where like, man, I got to get away from everybody. But, you know, it's just it gives you it, it gave oh, you some sure. perspective. Um, and and it, it, it's something that, man, I don't think that I don't think that I'll ever get over um, in regards to just. You know, you see videos of and you see videos of Kobe. And again, it just reminds you of, of how much it really takes to be great. You know, it, how, how much sacrifice, how much effort. And, and, and there's and there's very few. There's a lot of good, um, but there's very few great. Yeah. He was one of them, you know, and, you know, the work that he put in and and he, you know, the mama mentality, man. I mean, that 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 says something that reached out to a lot of people. And that's those aren't just two words. That's a yes. That's, that's a, a lifestyle, yeah. you know. And not everybody, not everybody, not every, not everybody's yeah. built like that. And it is what it is. And more, and more than likely, um, you know, just like he did, man. He when he wanted to, he he brought it. And there's very few people that can say that they were yeah, one of those guys. I, I just love the fact that Kobe he literally gave every single thing that he had. Like he had nothing more in terms of basketball to give. And and people um, and people, I think, generally that they are attracted to passion, even even if they don't like the person, they are attracted to passion. Mm -hmm. And he had it like he had he gave it Mm -hmm. every single thing. And he was passionate about being a father. He was passionate about his storytelling. Like my uh, my oldest son, he's reading the Wizenard series. He just read uh, one of Kobe's. Kobe's books. And I'm just like, and that's where as a person, like it was granted, I only met the dude two times, but it was by far one of the worst days of my entire life. And it still makes me sick talking about it. But, but I was just like, I, 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 and, and also the other part of me, I don't know if you felt like this. I felt cheated. Like I felt like he had so much more to give us and, and I felt cheated. And also I felt mm-hmm. like the women's game and women's basketball and sports got cheated because what you see at Sierra Canyon with LeBron James's kid, the, the pomp and circumstance surrounding that, I believe that you would have seen that for Gigi when she was in high school. Like surrounding women's right, basketball. Right. I mean, you see, yeah, he, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see that, that that's exactly where it could have went. And then, you know, and again, the sadness is really the loss of loss of Gigi yep. and the rest of the kids. But but talking specifically her, where, um, you know, kid, kids they you know they have a future in front of them. Then she had as many goals and aspirations that any kid her age would have had, and and she was well on her way to to maybe achieving some of those goals and some. You know, there's there's no telling what um, what 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 that young lady could have done, and it's unfortunate that. Uh, you know, the, the, the tragedy happened and I'm pretty sure along her short life, man, she's, she's impacted so many people, um, as well as obviously her father. And, you know, that's the only thing that I guess is guaranteed on, on during your lifespan is, um, how you impact people and, in um, your everyday life. And, and, and when, when it's your time, um, the memories that you left, the, the, the impactful relationships that you, that you've made, um, the influence that you've made on people. I mean, you look at, um, you know, just, just a couple of days ago, you know, uh, the, the, the year anniversary of yep. really Nipsey's passing, um, who was also a, 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 a cultural influence in regards to, 
um, not just the musical part, but when you get a chance to, you know, I never met Nipsey at all, you know, and uh, you, know, you listen to his music and his music is obviously, you know, it, 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 it's entertaining and stuff like that. But then, you you know, you really listen to it, you, know, yeah. you listen to the message and then you look at his interviews and you look at the kind of person that he was and the things that he talked about and the things that he believed and how inspiring that was to people, you know, just saying, OK, hey, the I don't have all the answers, but hey. It's the marathon. Hey, there's going to be some things that I trip along along the way. And I'm not going to say that I got all the answers and, and it's all been smooth. But my persistence is what's kept me going and got me to the place that I'm going to and where I'm where I'm striving to be. And so you look at a young dude like that who was very inspiring. And and both of those guys are, are figures in L.A. And obviously Kobe being uh, probably more of the prominent figure globally. Um, but individually, those guys had the same message. In regards to persistence, passion, like you talked about, um, you know, and those are the things that, you know, it, you know, they, they inspire a lot of people, you know, and, and some people, again, they don't they don't have that persistence. They don't have that level of motivation. Um, and sometimes it takes somebody that maybe they don't even know um, or have a relationship with to be able to spark that influence. G.A., I appreciate you coming on the podcast today, man, dropping dropping some knowledge, sharing and really taking time out of your day. I know that you got some, you, got some you, you know, this is the COVID time, special time with your family. You got a new baby, all of that. Wishing you and the Dolphins well this this season. And thanks for sharing, man. Appreciate it, man. No problem. Wow, wow, wow. Boy, Gerald, he dropped some gems in that one, man. Gave us so much to think about. One of the things he talked about, which apply to sports would also apply to life where people always tell you there's no I in team but there is a I in win so that yes the team is important but it takes individual performances doing each individual doing their job correctly to win so yeah there's no I in team but there is an I in win and it takes everybody doing their best and their own individual winning their individual matchups to win games, to win in life, whether it's your family, your job, your company, all of that, gotta win. Um, Another quote was, is that success is leased and rent is due every day. I was like, geez, I remember the first time I heard him say that, I was just like, geez, that is good. Because Tex Winters, the architect of the triangle offense, he said it in a different way. He said that you are only success a success in the moment that you do a successful act. As soon as it's over, you're no longer a success. You're only a success in that moment. So that's what it's the same thing that rent is due every day. If you want to stay on, if you want to get on top, rent is due every day you got to outwork people you got to know more than them you have to hustle more like you have to be willing to do more than everybody else is willing to do and once you achieve that the spot that you're looking for to keep that spot or to go to the next level then you have to then uh rent is due every day because somebody else behind you if you don't pay that rent somebody else is coming to come snatch that spot up from you these things aren't I mean, like we've seen so many companies look at Blockbuster. Oh, they dominated uh, the movie rental business. They dominated movies. But now Netflix is. And if Netflix doesn't pay the rent every day, 
they will get their spot taken. Same thing in whether it's basketball, but like um, if LeBron wants to stay the best player in the world, rent is due. Kevin Durant's coming. You got uh, uh, Steph Curry came. I mean, all these people came. And if you want to stay on top, then that's what it is. Same thing whether you whether you think Kawhi Leonard is the best, whoever. All the same principles. He also talked about the the recruiting in terms of how much work goes into it. Because I don't think that people really understand how much really goes into it. Because coaches are living, eating, breathing, sleeping this. Not spending time with their families. So yeah, and these are the assistant coaches. Head coaches, yes, they do a lot of work. But they're more handsomely paid. The assistant coaches, they're doing a lot of this. The, the lion's share of this. So when they leave for other jobs, you can't be upset. This is what it is. It is part of the business. I just want players to be a part of that business as well. Gerald also talked about uh, Kobe Bryant, how big of an impact that he had on him, him and how big of an impact he had on the world. And I was shocked. I mean, like, I think that if Michael Jordan had died, it would not have been as big a deal as Kobe. Like, yes, it would have hurt people. Yes, it would have been a big deal. But it was the way in which it happened. He was doing something great for somebody, for a friend on the phone in that moment. He was traveling to his daughter's game with other teammates and other other families. He was giving back in the community, giving back to people, just doing so much for so many people. And it just and you just felt cheated and you felt robbed and you just like admired. Like, that's the thing that I think everybody loved about Kobe. Even if you weren't a Laker fan, was just that you had to like love somebody and appreciate somebody who gave every single thing that they have. Because isn't that the goal? Isn't that the dream? To give every single thing that we have to whatever it is that you love and care about the most. And then still be a successful person too? That's absolutely amazing. Uh, Gerald also, he talked about coaching. how How big your networking is. Networking is crucial in life. Whether you are a coach, whether you are whatever. But specifically in coaching, you have to be willing to stand on a pile of no's for one yes. I know a lot of people who are former players who are trying to, quote unquote, get into coaching. But they're not willing to go start a 7017. They're not willing to go uh, be an intern, be a grad assistant, do all the grunt work. Got to be willing to humble yourself. Like it's that 10,000 hours thing. Everybody's got to put in the 10,000 hours. You, you either have to put it in on the front end before you get your jobs or you got to put it in on the back end because you got a job that you weren't ready for. Now you got to catch up, get all the hours in to catch up to where you can do it there. Or you can be a, a smart person who does some work in the beginning and then you get an opportunity, but you're doing work while you're in it to get it the way you can keep those jobs, keep those opportunities flowing for a long time. Thought that that was absolutely amazing. And uh, I thought it was cool that Gerald delivered his own son. What? Dude, I would have fainted. 
I've, I mark myself as a tough guy. Great under pressure. But delivering a baby? Nah, nah, play, playboy. I leave that to the professionals. Uh, thank you guys, though, for listening to the George Reister podcast. I appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Thank you for listening. Please leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend about it. And send an email to gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com. Thanks so much. Peace out. Catch you guys later.